Lauren, who's the only World Cup winner in the Northern Ireland squad? Uh, <laughs> you don't expect that. Who are you saying? Uh, is there one? Yeah. Uh, no, I don't know. Dave? A World Cup winner. Who's the only World Cup winner in Northern Ireland squad? So, this must be something that, like, it must be futsal World Cup or something, is it? Might give the answer at the end. Actually, I'll probably give the answer now because I'll forget at the end, but there's nobody any idea, no? Uh... No. No. Uh, 2017 Under-20 World Cup, England win it, and Luke Southwood is the third-choice goalkeeper. No way. (laughs) There you go. I read that earlier. (laughs) 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 I read that earlier on. Oh, dear. Oh, well. It is the Spirit of 2016 podcast. My name's Andy Bell. Um, we've got Lithuania coming up on Friday night. There's about a million tickets still available for it if you want to go. Uh, we've got five points in this group. We've no chance of qualifying. We're not really playing for absolutely anything at all. So we can expect a uh, a funny, uninteresting game on Friday, I suppose. But we're still here to preview it anyway. And on the topic of uninteresting dirge, I'm joined by Dave Dunning and Lauren McCann. Lauren, I bet you don't get that from uh, those introductions from Grant Campbell, do you? <laughs> I'm terribly sorry. What humbled. was that? I'm humbled. <laughs> Dave just did. He definitely doesn't say that if I'm not here, Lauren, by the way. <laughs> I know, that's why I said you first. Yeah, I know. Um, Dave, Lithuania home. Um, yeah. I might watch at least Switzerland instead. I'm going out. What, like, what's the point? I, I, I had every, every intention of going to the game. I was on the make, we'll go out, we'll be a good night, we'll, we'll go out a few drinks, we'll go to the game. And then, all the price of the tickets, and I know we'll come to that later, but the more I thought about it, and the more I remember standing at the oval in the freezing cold, watching an uninspiring Glen Torn side. I was like, I'm going to spend £40 a ticket. I'm going to go out and spend X amount on alcohol and I'm going to freeze watching an absolute dead rubber of a game. God knows what sort of side's going to get picked um, against a team of, like, no disrespect to Lithuania at all, but a team of no marks that we absolutely smashed away from home. So, like, if we're talking about value for money, that was it's, it's not really doing it for me. So yeah, I'll 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 watch it, but I think it's just this it, it feels it feels a bit like one of those Nations League games. Um and you know, I, I think the disappointment of the last couple of results, um, and I think possibly kind of the reflection of, of Barrett Clough's overall kind of performance when you've been able to take a step back and look at look at the performances and results in, in a bulk. I think there's a little bit of interest waning right across the fan base. And I think that that's evident by the by the take up of the tickets, isn't it? Massively, Lauren. Um there is, I guess, still placing in the group to to decide. It would be a little bit embarrassing to finish fifth in that group. I say a little bit embarrassing. It would be very embarrassing to finish fifth in that group. Lithuania got the three points against Bulgaria last month. They have had a new manager in and they do seem to be doing things a little bit differently, a little bit more forward thinking. And um, and Bulgaria sits at three points ahead of us. Now, albeit they've only got, uh, I think, Switzerland away still to play. You'd expect us to get the win over Lithuania and, and probably get the goal difference on them then and, and probably finish there. But are you bothered about sort of finishing third? I know I, I had a bit of a, a thing with people on Twitter this week where I said it was like a dead game. Somebody came back to me saying, oh, what about the ranking points? And well, we're not actually going to have any impact on the world rankings until the World Cup 2026 anyway, because the next European Championships is decided on your Nations League finish, where you're going to be, what pot you're going to be in for that draw. The Nations Leagues are based on literally where you finish in the previous Nations League. The only time the FIFA World Cup rankings come into it is for like five years down the line. So, um, and then, you know, I, I'd sort of made the point as well that finishing third or fourth or fifth doesn't really matter. It's all about the points you accumulate. And somebody came back at me telling me, well, if you accumulate more points, you're more likely to finish third. 
I think I called somebody a tit at some point, and it was really like it was probably the most exciting thing about this. But are you bothered about any of that? Like, are you bothered about finishing third, or do you think once we're out of qualification, sort of give the young lads a run and build for the future? Yeah, I definitely think it's more about getting the younger players um, on the field, and I think Barclays squads reflected that, but. It's probably just kind of salvaging pride at this stage, as you say, finishing fifth in that group is kind of embarrassing, especially if you're looking at giving Barclough a new contract, you know, you look at his performance in that group, you know, does he really merit this? And obviously it's a big debate, but it's happening and you can't change that. But yeah, as you said, you know, it makes little odds what happens, especially if he goes against Lithuania and plays an experimental side, you know, what can you expect? And then Italy in the last game, it's just kind of, you know, a big occasion at Windsor Park. The hope the fans will be there, Obviously, the t- ticket take-up for Lithuania hasn't been great, and with the prices for Italy, as we'll come on to talk about, you know, it's unlikely there'll be many at that either. But, yeah, as you say, I don't really see, you know, once you're out of qualifying, the hope just for any trying to get yourself up for these games, you know, kind of evaporates a bit. So, as I said, it's kind of about salvaging pride. You know, if you can't beat Lithuania at home, there is. So, I think, you know, there's that mentality that this is a must-win game just purely for the fact of avoiding embarrassment. Dave, I, I find it quite funny how the IFA have handled the whole Barraclough situation. They've not covered themselves in glory at all, right? The way from pretty much June, there've been there's been chat amongst like um even like coaches and like the likes of Gareth McCauley, Aaron Hughes writing columns for the Sunday Life where they've said they think he's going to be given a new contract. And there's definitely been a bit of chat about it. And then there's that thing that comes out last month where it says that they've started negotiations into a new contract. I mean when on earth has that ever been announced before? When on earth have we ever had a running commentary on the negotiations? Um, the reality is they're absolutely bricking it about not beating Lithuania, aren't they? Because if we don't beat Lithuania, he's not going to get a new contract. So uh, the way I see it, the way I view it, is that they're they're waiting until they get this game out of the way, win it by hook or by crook, and then do what they ultimately want to do, which is probably give them the Nations League. It looks that way. Um, I think I saw today again, they're, I think they're talking, you know, probably end of the month um it should be done it should be signed it's very strange tactic given the ever-growing split in the fan base over what people's opinion is of him and whether they feel he should continue in the role or not so kind of drip feeding this to the supporter base i i find I don't really see the benefit to the IFA other than maybe just trying to soften people and get them to come to terms with it so there's not like a huge backlash whenever it potentially would be announced out of the blue. Um, But yeah, listen, there's a lot of things that the IFA do that are very, very odd and very, very strange. So like if you want, you could look at it as this is just right on brand for them, isn't it? Yeah, massively, Lauren. It's uh, it is it is quite strange how they've done it. I think one of the main things that that I see from it, and you know, I'm slightly marginally just about in the camp of give Gab Barclough another another few months at it, see what he can do in the Nations League, just because I think you've gone so far with it now in terms of bringing the players through that you you might as well see it out, and it may be disastrous, but I don't think necessarily the other candidates are guaranteed to be much better, but. The fact that they only gave him an 18 month contract in the first place said that they didn't have an awful lot of trust in him. The fact that they're drip feeding this and not confirming it and announcing negotiations suggests that they're not entirely sure of it themselves. And if we're sitting here saying that, then Barraclough's going to know it. And it strikes me very much of like Nuno Espirito Santo coming into Tottenham, knowing very much that he was a millionth choice for that job. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And, you know, even it'll be interesting to see what kind of length of contract they give Barclough when they do renew it, you know, is it just going to be the Nations League? Mm. Um, surely, you know, they've kind of been portraying, portraying it so far, as you said, if it's kind of a Nuno-esque appointment, um, you know, we probably get the Nations League and then it's a CS again where you go from there. So, as you said, it's just been handled really strangely and providing these like almost minute-by-minute updates, you know, doesn't help the growing discontent within the camp especially, as you said, you know, there's talk he's going to be offered this new contract, but then what if, you know, they lose against Lithuania and then what happens, you know, does that just completely disappear off the table or so they're leaving themselves open to questions. And yeah, as you said, it's just a really strange hub, the whole situation. 
yeah, I would suggest, yes, the contract will disappear if he does lose to Lithuania. I'll stick with you, Lauren, um, coming on to talk a little bit about the squad. We'll come on to talk about kind of the, the new players that are in, and there, it's quite an exciting squad announcement, to be fair. That's that's something I will say. But um, two players who were who were left out, um, one was Liam Boyce, who's been left out of the, all of the, the World Cup squads. We know this, uh, the situation with him. He has a new... Uh, his wife has a young baby. Well, he is a young baby now. Sorry, the, the baby is born. And um, he's, you know, he, he wants to spend a little bit of time uh, with that. He feels international football sort of getting in the way of that. I think there have been rumours, I'm not sure if he said this himself, but he's been frustrated with the lack of game time or starts that he's got in a Northern Ireland shirt over the years. And now he's been joined this week by Michael Smith, who has, um, he has cited knocks and personal reasons for pulling out of the squad. Now, as Northern Ireland fans were like pre-programmed to meet any sort of a pullout or any sort of injury or people pulling out of the international squad with ultimately cynicism because of what happened in the world in the days and what's happened for so long and how Michael O'Neill seemed to turn that around. But, you know, we, we don't know exactly what the situation is with those players, but do you think it's starting to become a little bit endemic? The, the pullouts have been certainly a lot greater than what they have been in previous years. A couple of players pulling out of the... The squad, or do you think it's just a case of, you know, Michael Smith's 33, you can see Connor Bradley coming through. It's a bit of a case of like Chris Brunt hanging up his boots to give Jamal Lewis that pathway through. Do you think it's something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, even the situations between Boyce and Smith themselves are quite different because obviously, you know, Smith's been around the squad for years and has got the game time where Boyce probably hasn't. And, you know, as you said, he probably does see Connor Bradley coming through and getting to that latter stage of his career. He probably wants to, you know, prolong as long as he can play. Um, especially with hearts going well, you know, in the Scottish Premiership and having seen Bradley coming through, you know, I think he kind of realises that he might be starting to play second fiddle uh, now on. But the situation with Boyce, it's really disappointing because obviously, you know, in recent years, he's been flam high and he's obviously holds a special place in my heart as a Cliftonville fan. So it's really disappointing that he never really did get the game time that he deserved, especially now when you look him and Lavery could be quite a dangerous partnership when you think about it. Um. So I think it's probably, you know, just individual cases. Um, I don't really think that it's endemic of the squad as a whole. I think, you know, there's many still, you know, love coming with away with the squad. Stephen Davis is a prime example of that every time they meet up. So, yeah, I think they're just um, eight individual cases and was separately. Yeah, fair enough, Dave. Are you sort of bothered about the Michael Smith news? I mean, it didn't, I didn't really give it much of a second thought. He's been a, a good squad player at times. He's come in and done very well in central midfield in some games. He's come in and done very well at right back when we've wanted to play Stuart Dallas somewhere else. But with Connor Bradley coming through, you know, I'm almost sort of thinking about my team and we'll come on to talk about it for the, the Lithuania game. I'm sort of thinking about my team and I think, you know, even if we want to put Dallas in midfield, we're pretty stacked with the options there. We've got Davis, uh, Davis McCann, Thompson plays very well recently. Um, you've got Savile there and you've got Paddy McNair, whether you're playing him centre-half or not, another debate, which we have in every podcast. So, you know, even before you're considering Bradley getting a game, you know, you have to find a place for Dallas. And then sort of Michael Smith, all of a sudden, has just come sort of right to the back of the, the thinking, in, in my mind, picking a Northern Ireland team. So, like, he's given us some decent moments. He's been reliable. But um, ultimately, at this point, you know, it's not, it's not the worst player to have pulled out of this squad, is it? Or- no, it, it isn't. Um, I think... You can kind of understand that he's he's thirty three. Um, it's mad that he's only thirty three, by the way. Yeah, I know, I know, but it's also mad. you're nearly forty, Dave. You look so much younger than him. Well, thanks, thanks. It looks as though he's gone grey quite early in his years, though, which hasn't helped his cause. Um, yeah, it's it's a it's a very very strange um, situation for me. This, in terms of, is there is. Have had Boyce and Smith like had a chat, and Boyce has been like, Do you know what? See that break I got that last international break, just home with the family and, and helping the wife out and not having to travel and, and getting my rest and showering my head. It was great. And Smith went, Well, do you know what? I, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence here about what I'm going to do because if you look at it, you're right saying, Where is he going to get his game time? So, is he prepared to take 10 days away traveling all over Europe to? setting the bench or potentially, you know, not even make the squad for one of the games. You know, is it worth his time doing that? And is it worth his time away from his family? And then if you couple you'd, you'd that know, with... You'd know quite a lot, uh, quite a bit about going all the way to Europe and sitting on the bench for 10 days, wouldn't you do? <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. Um, some people may say getting away from his family for 10 days might be, a, might be an incentive to go. But, um, but yeah, and the other thing is, 
is there maybe a sense in some of these players that it's maybe the end of the road um, and and they've seen all the highs that they're going to see and, and anything anything from now on is, is going to pale in comparison to the experiences they've had over the last number of years. And, you know, maybe they just feel that, that it's the right time for a number of different reasons. And see, to be honest, I, I, like I can totally understand that. Yeah, it's one of those things, international football as well, especially with the Nations League thrown in there now, with the end of a campaign, it's a very definitive time where you can make a decision. It's every two years, you know, football comes in cycles. So you always have the conversation around Davis. I know he's come out and said something interesting today, but yeah, you're always kind of, especially with the Nations League taking up like a half a year of the calendar now, you get that real buffer to sort of think about these things. So um, it's a difficult time, it's been a difficult couple of years for footballers too, you know, it's, it's you know, they've had to go through playing behind closed doors, the, the, the weirdness of what those games actually look like, adapting to that. Um, and then the compressed calendar with, with the number of games that they're having to play. Um, it's made things difficult for them. The only worry that you would have is, you know, is this is this the start of some sort of mass exodus? I suppose if I know you mentioned Davis's comments, but we know Johnny Evans is is pretty much running on empty, and and there's a few other boys in there. Norwood packed it in quite early. Are you maybe looking at you know, God forbid, the likes of Stuart Dallas? Just things I've, I've had enough as well. So that would be the only lingering concern in the background for me. Yeah, completely fair. And uh, Lauren, to the players, it's. Uh two exciting players that are in the squad. We've talked about Connor Bradley, but I, I kind of want to uh, bunch him in with uh, Dale Taylor in this conversation because it's something we haven't really seen all that often from, from Northern Ireland and really in my lifetime. I know Johnny Evans makes his debut when he's 17, but what are your thoughts in general about these players coming in, having only played really under 23 football? I know Connor Bradley's had a, a couple of games for Liverpool in the League Cup, and obviously that, just, that does just get you into our squad. If you're playing for a top six team in any sort of way or in any sort of backup, you're straight in there. But Dale Taylor, Nottingham Forest, under 23s, scored loads and loads of goals last season for the under 18s. I think he's doing quite well for the 23s this season, um, but still, you know, sort of nowhere near first team action from what we've seen. He hasn't made a bench yet. So, you know, a lot of people make the point that there are other players in there, maybe the likes of, everyone always says it because of the song, but Will Gregg and Kyle Vassell's done okay at League One. Um, do they deserve this this opportunity more? Or do you just think that, okay, they may in the short term give us that little bit more, but in the long term, what Dale Taylor will uh, get from being in this squad is is invaluable? Yeah, I think it's a really exciting bring him in. I know David Haley is a huge fan of his um, and give him loads of personal endorsements, but I think, you know, it's kind of reflecting the way football is. International football is kind of going the way, you know, club football is, that if you're young and good enough, you're going to be brought through. And especially with Barcliffe as the manager, you know, his remit was to come in as senior boss and bring these players through. And Taylor's a prime example of that. And, you know, I think also the fact that kind of the strikers at under 21 level, you know, most of them are playing, you know, Ram Wade's been in there, Paul O'Neill, they're playing league. They're not really in that professional environment. So Taylor being, you know, with a professional club is kind of, He's kind of leapfrogged all them um, up in the packing order and he's made a good impression at the underage groups for Northern Ireland. And I think that's definitely helped aid his cause. So, you know, I think, as I said, uh, the way international football is going, you kind of just want to bring these players through. And is Barcliffe, you know, ushering in a new generation with Galbraith and Connor Bratley's kind of built the new spine. So Taylor, you know, is kind of an example of what you were bringing up front. And ex- beside Lavery could be really exciting or, you know, with Lavery out this break he could be you know the kind of player you need to come in in his place so it'll be really interesting to see obviously as you said you know he hasn't really featured at all at senior level so I'm not sure what to expect but it will be an invaluable experience for him and you know I'm sure it's it'll be really exciting I hope he gets some game time it really annoys me, Dave, sometimes the way people talk about international football. It's normally sort of people over in England who don't care too much for the national team, but you always see it in terms of the debate around form. Um, and if a player has a good month or two, they should automatically be in the squad. International football is almost talked about sometimes like it's just your little reward for how you're doing at club level. And he picks the best 23 players you're playing at club level. And that's just you. That's that's your little pat on the back for how you've been doing. But this guy is a is a manager in himself. He has to think about what team he's going to pick. He has to think about what's going to work with that. He has to think about his own future um, and the future of the squad, what the squad looks like five years down the line. And in reality, picking Dale Taylor and giving him that experience, it's uh, rather than bringing somebody like Will Grigg along, he's probably going to be fourth choice, probably isn't going to kick a football. Um, 
and probably won't have the same attitude maybe around the place if rumours are to be believed. I'm not entirely sure. Um, but I, I, I'm fine with them bringing these young players in and, um, you know, unless it's somebody who's massively staked their claim for a, for a starting slot, who's playing amazingly at club level, then I think you probably just do favour the younger players and the older players who aren't quite cutting it. Maybe at League One level have to just cop for that. Yeah, look, football's evolved um, massively over the last like, 20 or 30 years. and It, it absolutely used to be if, if someone was playing well and, and someone deserved an international call-up, certainly in the eyes of the media, for example, then then that would generally be the rule of thumb that they would get their chance. But with the advancement in like tactical awareness, um, some of the systems that teams are employed, the analytical side of the game, you've got to try and build something from the ground up. And if you're going to do that, you can't just have random players like dropping in, you know, from one international break to the next. You get no continuity. These, these guys are coming in. They don't really know how to play the system. They don't really have a relationship with some of the other players around them. And I think we saw, you know, it's a really good example of watching Italy in the Euros, how international football is moving towards that sort of, you know, club setup. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it can only be a good thing. I think for far too long, we didn't have players, players coming through. You know, if you look at before Jamal Lewis's breakthrough, who, who are we talking really? That's kind of stepped into the squad um, and and maintained a place there. If you've got a name, far out, but I can't really think of anybody off the top of my head. And that squad aids together. You know, your Brunch, your Norwoods, your Macaulays, your Evans, your Davises, etc. It's it's aged all at once, and we've got to start a succession planning for these players. And Lawrence Wright, you know, Barclough selection for the role was, was based around that and you know if he's not getting the results he's got to be seen to be doing something um, and if it is even just another 18 months of blooding these these younger players um, integrating them into the squad and, and finding a core group that, that someone can work with then you know I suppose that's the half glass full sort of perspective on it we are going to come on to talk about the goalkeeper and the goalkeeping situation. Um, always love a mad new name, completely out of nowhere on the the squad list. But what I thought I'd do for this, um, what I thought I'd do for this podcast, because as as we've all kind of said, it's it's not the biggest game in Northern Ireland history, to to put it mildly. Um, so I thought we'd just stick a plea out there on the Twitter, just for any sort of random questions, nothing to do with football. And um, we've got a few responses, so I think we'll rattle a few through a few of these. So Lauren. Um, if you had to play Stephen Nolan in any position, <laughs> brackets says straight out of Sopran, outfield, obviously not in goal, LOL, where would you slot Wee Nolan into the team? <laughs> I think he'd be a no-nonsense like, defensive <laughs> midfielder. Like, defensive mid? I thought you were going to go centre-half. No, I'll go defensive mid. Um, think What's his pass completion looking like in a game-per-game basis? Um, maybe like a five out of out a hundred or something, but he he'll get a yellow card every game. There's there's that on him. Tendency for a red, but he can control his temper sometimes. <laughs> Any advance on that, Dave? <laughs> um, I suppose if you want to stick him up there, the partner Lavery with the big man, <laughs> you could do that, and he would fit. He would fit in rightly with all of the other centre forwards that don't score goals. So. Or don't move. <laughs> Or, or don't move. So, you know, I think he could, he could probably nail down a place there. And he, I can imagine him being a bit like Suarez-esque, where he would just do the centre-half's heads in just by chatting chatting in their ear for the whole game, just giving them abuse and winding them up. So um, that is one thing he is very good at. So, you know, I, yeah, I'll go for that. Go for the foil to, the foil to Shane Lavery. I mean... Two years ago, when he lost all the weight, it could have been the wee man wee man combination. So, uh, listen, he's partial to that as well. For a starting birth, what was that, Dave? He could have been pushing Washington for a starting. He could have been. He could have been. I couldn't. I can't. Literally, can't think of two people who would be any different in terms of their styles. Um, I'm gonna bunch these two questions in together, um, because they're kind of a common a common theme. Lee Hamilton says, forget pineapple and pizza, yes or no to beans and an Ulster fry. And 
Jack Temple says, black pudding and an Ulster fry, yes or no? So where are you at, kind of, Dave, with beans and black pudding and an Ulster fry? No, I can't be having beans at all. Oh, Absolutely not. Christ. And then you get, you get into that sticky situation where if they start to contaminate the eggs, that's, I can't be dealing with that at all. But they so, have to come in a wee pot. Come on. Like that's that's best case scenario, but I would just do without. I don't need them. They're not necessary. Um, them on the wife's plate. I yeah, or just like just push them to the side into the middle of the table, and somebody can use them as like a weird dipping sauce or something for their leftover tatey bread. <sighs> what was the other question? Uh, black, black pudding. Can't really be bothered with black pudding either. Mm. I like a fair, oh fry. Just give me give me potato bread, with soda bread, maybe we fried pancakes as a treat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm quite happy with that. Yeah, I, th- I think Dave touches on a very pertinent point there, Lauren, about the kind of um, the, the moisture to soak up your leftover soda bread, titty bread, toast, whatever it may be. And beans for me, I'll I'll always kind of do the rest of the do the good bits, and then I'll just have a bit of beans on toast at the end. So I'm fine with beans. I'm I'm I don't particularly like black pudding myself, but I wouldn't be. I wouldn't have the audacity to say it doesn't belong on an Ulster fry, so I'm fine with both. What about yourself? I am the fussiest leader you'll probably ever meet, so <laughs> a fry just doesn't, I don't go near it. No, um, but, the, no but the family etiquette means no black pudding. No black no, pudding? Yeah. No beans? But I, no, there would be beans, but I, I don't think I have the right for an opinion on it. That's the family's opinion, but I don't have a personal one because I don't, wouldn't touch a fry. Body's a temple. Lauren, body's a temple. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Would you put that garbage into me? Do you ever, Dave, do like we exchanges between the family? So like I I wouldn't really... So well, I take everyone's tomato, really, because nobody likes a tomato, do they? But it feels like it's it's just there just uh, just for the tradition. I don't know. I'll, I'll take everyone's tomato. Are you into like little exchanges? Yeah. Not many people in my family are prepared to get food away. So, you know... <laughs> Not, not really. I'll try and I'll try and like pawn off what I don't want onto someone's plate, and inevitably there will be a number of takers that end up fighting over it. So I'm just quite happy to give what I don't want away. I don't, I don't need anything reciprocated for it. Okay, Alfie Wilson is a listener uh, from Oxford in England, and he says best pub in South Belfast for a future English visitor to go to. Now, I'm gonna widen that out to to Belfast in general, just to make things a little bit easier for us. So, uh, Lauren, what's your favorite pub? Doesn't have to be the best pub. Doesn't have to be the one everyone likes. But what's your favorite pub for whatever reason in Belfast? Oh God, I'm. I think I'm awful at all these questions. I'm like a nightclub gal. I'm not really a, a pub person. You can have a nightclub. Um, but if it well, I would to tell one. I'm gonna do the nightclub, and then I'll do the pub for drinks before, and then yeah. we can just box it all off for him. Okay, well, my suggestion for the pub would probably be the bot. I like the, the show footballer as well, so you could have that. But um, the club, ooh, probably Lime Night, because it's versatile every night of the week. You could go there, but if you want a really, really good one, you go to Thompson's on a Thursday. Oh, yeah. There, there's the odd... <laughs> the, and I know why Dave's doing that, because Thompson's just does have that real reputation about it, doesn't yeah. it? Um, Dave probably still calls it Thompson's Garage. Um, God knows what he calls Villa. <laughs> Uh, which isn't even called Villa anymore. So, uh, well, Parliament anyway. thing. What was that? Parliament or Yellow. The one on the one on Dunbar Street. More name changes than, than anything. Uh, well, you go for the pub then, Dave. What do you What do you think? And feel free to go club as well. Best club in Belfast is the Kremlin. It's not close. <laughs> yeah, it's, listen, it's a good shout. Not close. Um, pub. I, if, I'll, I don't. Would the Empire like just sneak into South yeah. Belfast? Probably would, wouldn't no, it? No, we can go what, anywhere in Belfast anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, the Empire's great. Great for live music. Brilliant on a Sunday. Um, brilliant on a Sunday night down the stairs. Um, some really good bands in there. Some really good acts. Um, and if you just want a nice, like, quiet joke with your mates where you can, like, if you're my age and want to be able to talk to your mates and, like, hear them. Um, Duke of York's always a good spot, but it's rammed. I always like the Spaniards. It's weird and it's quirky and it's yeah, got it's a mad, isn't it? So yeah, that's that's where I would I would probably go. Yeah, anywhere around that kind of cathedral quarter region is just kind of good for a pub crawl in general, isn't it? You can kind of you've got everything right on your on your doorstep. You've got the Spaniard, Thirsty Goat, Dirty Onion, Harp Bar, 
Duke of York. They're all around there and they're all pretty sound, broadly speaking. Loads of live music. Um, and then you can sort of do that and hit hit Limelight or wherever after. Um, trying to think of my favorite club. And I'm, I'm it's been so long since since being over here in Liverpool and then the, since before the pandemic. I mean, one thing I'll say about Limelight, Lauren, is you'll you'll grow out of it very fast. You'll grow out of it very fast indeed, and you'll find yourself in Katie's bar most of the night. Um oh but ah club where Ollie's was good for a while, and that's a very North Down shout. Um Oh, totally. There's one in there with your with your brown winkle pickers and your blazer, aren't you? Story oh. brown boots for every day of the week, Dave. That's all I'm saying. Um, Richard, fairly similar. Best chippy in NI. Anyone got any shouts for a, a decent chippy? I mean, I used to live on the Edinburgh Street. Um, so Monte Carlo, which apparently was the best voted the best chippy in the UK, um, used to frequent that quite a lot, as my uh, previous photos would uh, would suggest. So uh, any any advances in that, Lauren? Um, I also don't eat chippy, but my family's, oh my I know my family's chippy of choice. What do you eat? What do you get for takeaway? Chinese. 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 Okay, we'll come to that. Okay. Dave. So yeah, money, money is the family. Your cheat day, is it? <laughs> cheat um, day, Lauren, yeah. What? <laughs> I, think, I think it cut over the Zoom there. You're saying that's your cheat day, is it? <laughs> Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> Um, the the sea fry in Rosetta is belter. It's really really good. Um, and then randomly, I have this theory like that all the tippies on the coast are just well better than any of the tippies anywhere else. So do you know like you see those scenes where people be like sitting on the beach or whatever and they're having their tippy? It's always the best tippy. So we so went the north to coast or any coast anywhere where there's sea. Always in Newcastle. One, I always thought the ones up in Newcastle are great, but I think they just taste better because you probably just climbed some mad mountain before it. Maybe <laughs> we went. Uh, we went to the aquarium, the Port of Ferry, a couple of weekends ago, and I, I had this theory popped into my head that I've had. So we stopped at a chippy in Kirkcobin called Janie's, and shout out to Janie's, the best chips I've ever had, and an absolutely smashing pasty. So yeah. If you're in and about that area, just stop and just even just get some, just just go in and ask for a handful of chips. And what's, your, what's your salt and vinegar, Dave? I'm plastering. No vinegar. Oh, you're not one of them, are you? No, no vinegar. One of these chips. European Muppets who only has uh, vinegar on salad. Is that it? No. Nobody can believe it when I lived over in France. Nobody can believe I had vinegar in my chips. No, it makes the nice crispy chips go all soggy and it makes the batter in your fish go all soggy as well. So oh. I'm no. I like a nice crispy tip and a nice crispy, crispy battered fish. So, no. Fine. Um, okay, Lauren, this will be one for you. Fermana Jer says, "Go to Chinese order." Okay, I can I can get this one. Chicken curry, fried rice, no onions, and a portion of chips. I thought you were gonna go down the James Corden route there. Just uh, rattle them all <laughs> off. Everything. Any Chinese, Dave? No, I don't like Chinese food. So I'm doing, a, I'm doing, I'm taking Lauren's place for this question. Don't eat Chinese food. Doing Wouldn't well. eat it. Don't okay, like it. No worries. Well, here's a nice one. Here's a nice one. Um, comes from Lorna Miller, but it's from her seven-year-old daughter, Chloe, and she wants to know what flavor, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? And talking about going up the coast, you, have, you feel like Port Stewart, Morelli's, Mullins, and the like is, uh, you're always kind of going to have one up there. So Lauren, are you, Branching out with your, your flavors of ice cream, are you going to give me a mad pistachio shout or anything, or are you straight down the middle? Yeah, I'm like a, it's kind of branching out a bit of wee mint chop chip. Mm. Yeah, good shout. Dave, gelato for you, I believe. <laughs> Funny, right? There is there's an ice cream shop on the Craigor Road called Fosco's. And it does ice cream like you've never tasted before in your life. And it's just vanilla, but it's just better. It's just better. That or a Mr. Whippy. Highly underestimated Mr. Whippy. Mm. Or a 99. 99. Like they call it, or a poke. All terms are acceptable. <laughs> okay, last question. Um, Lauren, why do we have two airports? Why not? Yeah. I don't know, Dave. <laughs> don't know. Um, I suppose the, quick, I su- the, the right answer might be this. They had to like 
fly a pile of stuff into the to the to Belfast at the, the docks to like build stuff with their cranes and things. So maybe that's why it exists in the first place. I, but, I didn't expect that. I expect I didn't think it was going to get any advance on a dunno, but apply some apply some sort of level of logic to it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, but apart from that, um, just so I don't have to travel ridiculously far to go and get a flight. Like it sometimes takes me longer to travel to Aldergrove than it does to actually take the flight to where I'm going. Yeah, and you're not parking anywhere near it, are you? Is the other thing. Um, but we'll uh, we'll not get stuck into the international airport. We will get stuck into the IFA, um, because Lauren, I, I think we've mentioned it already. We've um, it's just uh, it's just another balls up, isn't it? It's just another complete another balls up. It's we've sold this three match bundle, thinking that we might get a result somewhere, and going into the last two games, it, it may still be in the balance. It's not, and what's come out of it is if they don't sell. Lithuania tickets for forty pounds, and those who have bought the three match bundle um, have ended up paying more than people who just went to all the games individually. But just don't make the three match bundle extremely expensive in the first place. Would probably be the right answer, wouldn't it? Yeah, and especially you know after the same last time, you know when fans voiced their um, opinion against you know the ticket prices, that they'll look at it and they'll consider it, and you know they just clearly haven't, and they haven't seek to address that and. They just seem to disregard fans' feelings. And I think, you know, when fans start to vote with their feet and not show up at these games, then it's going to be a real, you know, moment for them to consider how they move forward, especially, you know, you can charge. Well, not that it's suitable to charge prices like that when you're playing well, but when you are, you can kind of, you know, understand it a bit more, especially if these games, as you said, hadn't meant anything in context of the group, but they don't and the prices should reflect that and they just have been completely took their ass the ball again for this one and if fans you know don't show up on Friday night as as I said it'll be you know really a sign to the IFA that things need to change it could be an embarrassing one for the IFA Dave there's been photos going about of the empty seats in the ground the tickets that are still available there are full blocks of the ground there where you can still buy tickets as we speak on uh, on Tuesday the 9th of of November like it's it's not a, a problem solely confined to Northern Ireland or the IFA, but I don't know if they've ever made as big a cock-up as this at, at any other level, really. You look at, like for example, you know, people aren't happy with Premier League ticket prices, but ultimately everyone still turns up. They know they've got the loyalty. Um, the IFA know they've got loyalty of fans, but they've even lost that to an extent where we're probably maybe slightly out of the glory years now, but we've still got the hype of what's happened in the last eight or 10 years in Northern Irish football. Um, and I'll never forget going to Bosnia, the game after the Switzerland qualifier. Um, it, was a sun- it was a Saturday afternoon. It was September. It was dead sunny. It was a perfect opportunity to make tickets 20 quid, get the place full, maybe even get people tickets who haven't been to the game before. And we ended up with 2,000 empty seats there. Um, it's been a great eight to ten years for Northern Ireland, but the IFA have had very little to do with it. Yeah, um, I think to, to their credit, I think you know they get the they get the elite appointment right, and and they do the really difficult thing, which is stick with them. Um, so I think credit works due on, on that, but you know that's that's the exception to the rule, isn't it? Um, n- not many other decisions you can look at and think that that was a good idea. And, you know, I think the Italy game's 52 quid, is that right? I'm not sure for individual tickets. I think if you brought the three-match bundle, they all kind of work out at 40 each, but it may well be 52. In fact, I'll check it here while you're talking. I think I saw 52 pounds somewhere. Like, I can get a ticket down feel cheaper than that. Um, And I think... I think they, they're they naive if they don't think that jeopardy in games and games that mean something add a significant amount of value to a ticket price for a Northern Ireland fan. Um, if we're going into that Lithuania game, honestly, and I'm thinking that we still have a chance to qualify, I'm absolutely, without any question in my mind, paying £40 for a ticket, no problem. Absolutely no problem at all. It's not about the opposition. It's about going and watching your team succeed and, and having that excitement. And 
you know, people call it now like match day experience and things like that. But the match is great. And if it goes our way, that's fantastic. But the two, three hours before the game are as much to do with it as anything else. And you want to be able to go and experience that knowing that you've got the game and you've got the excitement and you've got the jeopardy ahead of you. And if it's just a team and, you know, what, what are they ranked? 170 something in the world. You know, in a match that doesn't mean anything. Um, God knows what team is going to be selected. It's, it's an opportunity. We talk about blood and youth and things like that. It's maybe an opportunity to get some young fans on a Friday night in the seats and start not just success in planning the team, but success in planning a new generation of fans um, and giving them that first experience in an atmosphere that's going to be not not a great atmosphere, but there's not going to be anything hostile about it. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be anything scary about it for, for putting kids into that situation. So I think, I think for me personally, that's a massive opportunity missed even set aside, you know, the, the, the financial absurdity of the way the price of tickets. Completely, Lauren. It's, um, you know, it's th- this team deserves more than it. It deserves, it does not deserve to be playing in front of 13,000, however many it's going to be. Um, on Friday night, they've, Okay, they've made a bit of a mess of some of the games in this qualification campaign, but they've given us so many amazing moments. You know, even the the second half performance in Italy, the the performance at home to Switzerland, away to Lithuania, these are still, albeit it's been a poor campaign, this is still far, far better than what we've seen pre-Michael O'Neill. And um, it is such a shame because... You know, I had my flights booked home and I was going to, uh, you know, I was going to, I was literally going to get into the international airport 25 to 7. I was going to get my dad to pick me up and we we're going to both head down to the game together. But the minute I saw that there were there were that much, and in the minute I saw the three-match bundle was that much, I got my ticket just so I have the credits for the future. But I panned them off straight away and I, I thought, you know, I'm not doing this. And, you know, Switzerland they just about sell it out on the afternoon of the game, which is completely ridiculous. The fact that it, it took so long for such a big game for such top-class European opposition. Uh, first game back as well. Everyone was really excited for the first game back at, you know, at Premier League games and lower leagues and we can barely sell it out. Um, I don't know. It just, it just all seems like, like such a shame to me. And it's not even that it was unavoidable. It could have easily been avoided. And um Nations League coming up in, with League C opposition as we'll come on to talk about the likes of Macedonia, Faroe Islands, Gibraltar. They're going to need to get that right, certainly. Yeah, you know, when you play an opposition like that, you know, the prices and tickets should reflect that. And as Dave said, bringing in new fans, you know, League C and the Nations League is kind of the time when you're kind of hoping to bring in new people. Um, But as you said as well, you know, selling out Switzerland on the day of the game, especially one of the first games back, you know, after having no fans at lockdown, at, during lockdown it just points to the ticket prices as the problem because as you said everybody's excited to get back they couldn't wait but you know if you're priced out of football then you just you can't go and some people just you know refuse to even pay those prices after you know supporting the team throughout they're not being rewarded for their loyalty after all those horrible years and then you know the prices during their glory years and now they're still trying to like you know scramble around and get the keep the prices up when you know it's clearly not acceptable and fans are really starting to vote with their feet obviously you said they just about sold out Switzerland and if it's embarrassing attendance against Lithuania on Friday you know they really will have to take a long hard look at the price their pricing strategy for the games definitely uh, all right we'll come on to talk about the team that we sort of uh, sort of want to see for this game um Dave would you go experimental I mean, how experimental can you really go? We got lads who, I think you're picking from. I think you're. Well, there's so many strikers you could play, and there will be that much of a difference between them without Lavery. So you probably are picking from between 18, 17, and eighteen players, um, in total. Is it one of those where do you think Baraclough will just go as strong as possible just to make sure he gets that win? I think he needs it, and I think he knows he needs it. Um. It's the only win in the group is the way to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, if if you're not winning this game, you're coming out of that group with, with one victory. And that's 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 not good enough, is it? Um and that if nothing else, it's not gonna strengthen his negotiating position, put it that way. 
if you're talking about them negotiating contracts. Um, so yeah, I think I think he goes strong. I think you see something similar to what he does out there that works for him. Um, obviously, Lavery not available still. Uh, McGinnis, maybe does he does he throw Jordan Jones up there to try and make it a bit more like for like? I, I can't see it myself, but um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I can't I can't see him doing anything left field. Put it that way. I think Bradley will start, and as far as shock inclusions go, I think that's about as shocking as it's going to get, and that's not a real shock certainly after the last couple of breaks. One position, Lauren, that is quite interesting, we referenced it at literally at the very start of the podcast, is the goalkeeping position. There has been a 23-year-old um, World Cup winning goalkeeper who has uh, who has declared for Northern Ireland, I think through his, through his grandmother. Um, playing for Reading, come into the, the, the Reading team this season. He's played the last 10 games, and he's done okay for them. He seems to be doing well. So we've got a young championship goalkeeper playing regularly. Um, and I think Peacock Farrell's quite lucky. He's had a good two or three months in uh, in a Northern Ireland shirt because before that, I think this guy would have come straight into the team. Yeah, definitely. And especially, you know, Peacock Farrell for his club hasn't been in the best form as well. But as you said, his recent performances for Northern Ireland have been really good. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if he brings him in. Obviously, he's playing in a higher division than Peacock Farrell. And, you know, he's by signs of things he's been doing well. So that's probably, yeah, as you said, the only real left wing shout there could possibly be. I don't really think you can call Bradley an experimental choice anymore. Right back, he can't, well, right wing back, sorry, he's kind of, you know, nailed down that slot, especially with, you know, um, Michael Smith deciding not to join up with the squad and that allows you to play Dallas in midfield. So it seems like a viable option. So, yeah, um, I don't know. Peacock Farrell's done so well for Barcliffe and he needs the win. and he was good out in Lithuania, so maybe you know he stays in on Marat. But it would be interesting to see if he gives Southwood a game. Yeah, it's one of those days. I think we're now. I think we have to sort of look at evolving that position in our squad going forward. We've had Michael McGovern knocking around for a bit, and he's you know listen, he's been incredible for us. Trevor Carson has come in, and he's never let us down. We've got three goalkeepers there: Peacock Farrell, Luke Southwood, and Connor Hazard, who are under twenty three, who have all had a good bit of first team experience under their belt. And I think that's probably just the three goalkeepers he needs to pick going forward. And I'm sure Michael McGovern and Trevor Carson will be more than happy to come into the squad and do a job when needed. But is there any question around it for you? Do you think he might, I, I think he might actually do one in each for these ones. I think that would be quite a, a Barraclough thing to do. It wouldn't shock me if he just got that win over Lithuania um, and then stuck Southwood in against Italy. Um, especially, you know, the, the fact that we have got a championship player Riding the crest of a wave. Any other position, he probably does get some minutes in these in these games. Different for a goalkeeper, you can't really bring him on, but might be something he's going to do. Maybe. I, I personally, I don't see it. Um, I think you, you you yourself has talked about Barclough's pragmatism and just dropping a player into a squad there to have a few training sessions and saying go and play against the European champions there for the crack and just see how you get on. I, I just don't see him doing it. And to be fair, I think it would be harsh on Peacock Farrell to not give him that cap, especially in a you know, especially in a big game mm-hmm. against Italy. You know, that that's one he's gonna want to play. That's one they're all gonna want to play. Um so yeah, I think he, he sticks with him. I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's a it's a shiny new toy and everybody likes to see kind of new players and get a look at them and see what they're about and see if they can maybe challenge for, for a starting position. And, you know, is that player potentially going to improve us? Because let's be honest, as, as much as Peacock Farrell has kind of grown in our affections over the last number of number of games, I think it's fair to say there's still, there's still issues there in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he could certainly do on working on some of those problems that we've seen him have that have cost us goals in the past. He has his strengths, but I'm sure every goalkeeper does. Um, this this guy, is, I think it's only it's 11 games or something or 15 games or something like that. Um, he's playing lower league before then, but he's got that youth international experience. So there's every chance there that we, we could see an emerging talent. But to be fair, what, they're 24 and 23? Mm-hmm. That's very, very young for goalkeepers. That's like that's like you know eighteen, nineteen 
in any other area of the pitch. So, you know, that, that to me is great because the more options that we have, the better. So hopefully, hopefully it's better than Peacock Farrell because I'm, I'm just all for having better players. So if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. Definitely. We're going to do a bit in the Nations League draw, but we're running out of time. So Lauren, if you could pick me a team that you would like to see, that you would like to see, not even going to th- do the team that he's going to pick because he's going to pick like Washington McGuinness, isn't he? Uh, the team that you would like to see. And um, there's been a bit of question mark about Daniel Ballard. We're not sure if he's going to join up, but assume he's, assume he's fit. Okay. Um, I'd probably go Peacock Farrell and then Evans, Cathcart and Ballard. And then this... Dallas McCann, although I'd like to see Galbraith at some point, but I'm not too sure if he's going to start. And then Washington White is what I'd like to see because I think Gavin White's still a really exciting player and has had a good start this season. But yeah, as you said, it's probably going to be McGinnis. Okay, Dave, what do you think? I can see you furiously scrambling down. Do you want me to do my team because I have mine written down? No, it's fine. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm absolutely with, I'm absolutely with Laura there. I don't know, did you, did you do your midfield three? Yeah, I forgot my wing backs. That was it. Um, Lewis and Bradley, but midfield three was Davis, Dallas, McCann. Yeah, absolutely. Bang on. Same as me. Yeah, mine is. Um, so, so neither are you pick a McNair? Oh. No, left and right. See, that's. Oh, uh, well, that's then, then. So the, we'll do a back three then of, of Ballard, Ballard, Evans, McNair. That yeah, sounds alright. Yeah. Yeah. And, and literally my team's the exact same as that. Yeah, Dallas, Davis, McCann, Harsh and Thompson. But, um, you know, I, I expect him to play one of the two games, just maybe not this one. Um, obviously, McCann's riding the crest wave just back from an injury, missed the last international break, scored a goal for Preston there. Bradley Lewis, but yeah, White Washington, 100%. That's absolutely my team. Yeah, any other business? Nope. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you very much to Dave Dunning. Thank you very much to Lauren McCann. Thank you very much to you for tuning into this. We will have post-match shows coming up after, directly after Lithuania and directly after the Italy game. So if you're going Friday night, do enjoy it. Take it all in. If you're going on Monday night, exactly the same. Um, And we will see you again next time. Bye-bye.